0: the FT. Now, in terms of the capital ratios of individual banks after the application of this stress test, uh, we have seven banks that would now, uh, if the stress materialized, would be uh, under the 6% threshold that we used as a benchmark. And the, uh, the capital shortfall to reach the 6% threshold would amount to uh, 3 billion and
1: a half. That was Chairman of the Committee of European Banking Supervisors Giovanni Carozio, talking on Friday when the results of the much-awaited European Bank stress tests were announced. We'll be talking about this and all the implications of Friday's results in this week's special Stress tests Banking Weekly with me, Patrick Jenkins. I'm joined in the studio by David Oakley, the FT's Capital Markets Correspondent. Later in the show, we hear also from Jose Manuel Campa, the Secretary of State for Economic Affairs in the Spanish government, also about the stress test results.
2: This has been an exercise that we were very keen on having, that we have made a big effort in trying to provide information. And I think that information, the markets will find it useful. Some of the initial feedback that we've gotten already suggests that they do find it useful. And that's very important. But
1: first, we should start by summing up what was revealed in the results. So 91 banks were stress tested. The results were announced, as we say, on uh, last Friday. Seven of the banks failed, although there were no properly listed entities. Five of them were Spanish Cajas, or or savings banks, the, the regional public sector banks. There was uh, one German bank, Hyper Real Estate, which has already been nationalised, and there was ATE, the part-state-owned Greek bank, all of which were no surprises among those, really, but I suppose the big surprise was there weren't more failures. David, what, what do you think has been really the market reaction so far to the outcome of those stress tests?
0: I mean, the market reaction has been surprisingly muted. Um, the equities and bonds have both traded fairly steadily. I think, in a sense, the market has almost moved on beyond the stress tests. There was this very, very big build-up to it all. and
1: That was reflected, really, in, in the, the market's performance over the past couple of weeks. There kind of been expectations that yeah. these were going to boost sentiment. The,
0: the expectation was that um, these stress tests were a sort of a turning point for the market, and particularly on the government bonds, the eurozone, government bonds, the peripheral Uh, government bonds has traded very steadily. And actually, a lot of investors have said, well, this may be the turning point for the crisis. And in the end, there were critics of the stress test, particularly over only seven failing. But at at the same time, there was quite a lot of confidence or or a lot of positive reaction from the fact that they did seem to be quite demanding on the macroeconomic front, even if it wasn't so demanding on the sovereign default front.
1: Yeah, so let's just remind our listeners on those two two sides of things. The, The macroeconomic measures that were applied, the stresses that were applied to banks' exposures. Were quite complicated, uh, factoring in different parameters around GDP declines, unemployment increases, and so on. The market doesn't seem to be, or analysts don't seem to be, agreed on relatively how harsh those were relative to the to the U.S. stress tests that were had been vaunted so much um, as having played a role in reviving sentiment in the U.S. banking sector last year. I know that the committee of European banking Super- supervisors, which organised these tests here, were trumpeting the the, the severity of the stress here as having been much worse three times as as severe they said as the US tests. I saw some analyst notes this morning saying actually it's the reverse, the average stress on the European portfolios was about 3.5% compared to about 9% under the US scenario. So, But you're saying the market generally accepts that they were they were pretty severe. I
0: think, I think the market accepts that they were severe enough on the macroeconomic front. Mm. So the criticism is, is that um, uh, most of the banks now have their sovereign bonds on the banking books which aren't included in the tests.
1: So it's only the trading books of these banks that are being stress tested. Exactly. And that's a tiny minor- minority really of, of all these holdings.
0: Exactly. And that, that has been a, a big criticism. However, interestingly, it hasn't actually affected the markets too much because I think partly the markets were, were not expecting the, were, were not expecting the trading books to be included, and markets tend to react on surprise. Yeah, and so because they were expecting this, it, the markets, whether it's bonds or whether it's equities, or whether it was CDS prices, have traded fairly steadily. Right. And ultimately, I think the other factor, and this is a very key factor, is is that Uh, The stress tests were the big story two or three weeks ago. But as we came closer to the publication, the markets have started to look beyond the stress tests and looking at US corporate earnings, look at US economic data. And in fact, the direction of the markets is now being taken more from those from the US than it is from Europe and the Eurozone. And I think that has meant that actually in the event of the stress tests, the markets haven't reacted in a big way. And in fact, it's been not a damp squib, but it certainly hasn't seen the volatility that some feared.
1: Aside the actual te- stress test themselves, um, SEBS was very proud of the fact that they persuaded all the banks in Europe, these 91 banks, via their national regulators to publish full details of their sovereign debt exposures. So even if they only stress tested a small portion of it via the trading books of the banks they actually persuaded the banks to publish full details of their holdings. And indeed, virtually everybody did that. I think 85 of the 91 actually did that. Uh, There were six that didn't, and they were all German.
0: That is actually quite significant, and it's not actually uncoincidental that Deutsche Bank, one of the banks that did not reveal their sovereign debt, uh, did not disclose their sovereign debt, is in fact one of the worst trading banks today. In fact, before I, just last time I looked at the prices on the markets, it was actually the worst trading bank today in Europe. Uh, that is going against the German banks. I think actually sometimes in the, in, in the case of markets, transparency is, is more important than anything else. And even if banks reveal high levels of sovereign debt exposure, that is actually seen as a better thing than actually hiding it. It will be interesting
1: me. to see what Deutsche Bank, they've, they've got results out tomorrow, whether they actually uh, backtrack on on this stance.
0: I think there will be a lot of pressure on them to actually back backtrack or actually reveal something because this is a very big bank in Europe they should really be taking a lead and I think there has been quite a lot of criticism from markets and analysts uh, that they haven't actually shown by example and actually revealed exactly what they have on their books. Certainly come under a lot of pressure to to, to reveal that.
1: Basically they've taken the story away from the centre of attention that's been dominant throughout this exercise which has been really on the Spanish side. As we were saying earlier in the programme um, we spoke earlier this morning to her- Jose Manuel Campa, the Secretary of State for Economic Affairs in the Spanish government. He's basically been the, the Spanish government's spokesman on this whole issue of, of the bank stress test exercise and also a real advocate of Spain in the international markets. Is, I started off by asking him, did he think the test will work in terms of reviving the confidence in the markets?
2: I think to a high degree has already worked from our point of view because it's been an exercise that we were very keen on having, that we have made a big effort in trying to provide information. And I think that information, the markets will find it useful. Some of the initial feedback that we've gotten already suggests that they do find it useful. And that's very important, you know, because the information from us and transparency is the best way to try to transmit the solvency and the actual situation of the system overall.
1: That's the kind of informal feedback you've had so far, but I guess the, 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 te- the proof will really be in what happens in the markets, both to a degree in the equity markets for those listed banks that we, uh, are being focused on, but also far more importantly in the, in the funding markets, in the interbank lending markets, which had largely frozen up for, for a lot of Spanish
2: banks in recent months. That's absolutely right. You know, we have uh, uh, slightly above the 50% of our banking system, which is the savings banks, which they basically are not traded on equity markets, but they do participate in banking markets, and that's very important that they have, the, that the bank, that markets have the information from these institutions so that the markets can work properly and that borrowing and lending happens in a more or less, you know, uneventful way, and it allows our financing the economy overall.
1: Chris Giles, our economics editor, is is with us today as well. Do you hold out as much hope as, uh, as Mr. Camper does? I think I hold out quite a lot of hope that the disclosure helps to uh, free up some of the problems in the funding market. I mean, that's exactly what it's there to do. There's been a lot of disclosure. So at least the market should be able to differentiate between banks they want to lend to and banks they don't want to lend to. But I do think we have to look at the US. Their stress tests last May were judged by almost everyone to being extremely successful and they have freed up the funding markets in the US quite significantly but it hasn't freed up lending of banking so Ben Bernanke the chairman of the Federal Reserve has been very open and very honest saying in that respect they haven't worked. So maybe the wider implications of the stress test to the national economy might be slightly exaggerated. Do you concede that point? Or do you think this, this is the, the solution to all of Spain's economic problems? No, it's absolutely mm.
2: not the solution to all of Spain's economic problems. It's only one step in the right direction. We have made major changes just purely on the financial sector. And I would like to highlight two. One is the process of integration that's taking place within the savings bank but more important also restructuring in which you know we have 45 institutions of these 39 have been involved in different merger transactions
1: these are the so-called cajas that's that's right the the private public sector savings banks basically
2: that's right savings banks are primarily uh, held and managed by so like regional governments local governments and and other parts of the regional economies
1: What will happen ultimately to the Cajas that failed this test? Of the 91 banks that were stress-tested across Europe, five of those institutions were Spanish, all Cajas. Their future obviously hangs to an extent in the balance. What will happen? Well, I
2: think one of the key points, as I mentioned, this was just one of the steps. One of the key points that we have also addressed is we changed the law governing these Cajas to allow them to be able to raise, to have better instruments to raise equity in capital markets. You know, so now they can choose to issue what we call participatory shares with full voting rights within their current structure or they can choose to transfer their assets to a regular bank that will issue equity. And to some extent this again has been a successful like one of the of the five institutions that show a lack of sufficient capital to reach the six percent target, Banca Cívica, announced already last Friday that they were engaging in, in, a, in a deal with private investors to actually bring forward €450 million Euros of what would qualify as tier one capital. So that's one clear example in which this is already working in the direction that we we're hoping to.
1: Interesting that JC Flowers was the investor, the, the the U.S. specialist, if you like, in troubled banks was the one to back that transaction. Do you expect funds like that to get more involved in the, in the Caja sector?
2: I don't know what kind of investors will go forward, but I do think it's obviously important that to extent the that there are specialised investors, and I think it's interesting that somebody that had the experience already to, you know, had made a, a number of transactions and equity investments in restructuring banks is willing to look at this sector, suggest that there are obviously good opportunities there for investors, for private investors.
1: There, Mr. Camper was outlining the opportunities for private investors to to get into the Caja sector. Maybe no coincidence that the Association of Cajas was in London on early on Monday and is moving then across Europe on on a roadshow to try and drum up investment interest in both, I guess, in the debt side of the cajas, but potentially in the equity investment side as well. Now that they've been freed up legally to take on equity. David, do you think that's likely to to lead to much active interest from, from international investors?
2: I think it's going to
0: take a while before the wholesale markets regain confidence in the Spanish banks, but it's certainly a starting point. The wholesale markets are still closed to most Spanish banks, except for the big big ones, BBVA and Santander. But I think a lot of investors have told me this morning that um, one thing that uh, differentiates Spain from Germany is that the Spanish seem to have grasped the nettle in the sense of transparency and revealing what is on these books. And they seem to have been taking very positive and quite aggressive steps in a way that the Germans haven't. And I think, in a sense, the Spanish have drawn a lot of plaudits from this whereas some of the German banks have, have not done so.
1: It's an ironic result in some senses because uh, the relative strength of the German banks is obviously, or, or at least the listed ones, is uh, is that much greater than many of the Spanish. This is
0: it, I mean the, Germany is the big economy, the strong economy Spain has been the one, the economy that's been in the in the spotlight the last three weeks and in fact has really been the economy that, that everybody says is, is the making or breaking of the Eurozone and it has been the Spanish that have taken leadership, well so one investor said to me this morning the Spanish, he in his view, has taken leadership uh, in a way that the Germans hadn't. And um, that can only do the Spanish a lot of good. And even if some of these banks are exposed to property and are have to have weak balance sheets, at least it shows that the government, the banks themselves are trying to address this problem. And that always wins favour in the markets.
1: Well, I guess we'll be watching here over the next couple of weeks very closely to see, firstly, how the, the banks manage to refinance the, themselves in the markets, how much appetite there is in the market for issuance of, of medium-term Spanish bank paper, and also maybe the outcome of this roadshow that the Cajas are on uh, this week. I think that probably concludes what we can say about the stress test exercise thus far. We'll continue monitoring it as we go on. But as as you heard from Mr. Camper and from our commentators today... This has been an exercise that's certainly divided a lot of opinion and maybe ended up with some counter-to-expectations results that have thrown some investors, certainly. We'll be watching out later for this week for, for more news on, on that exercise, particularly the Cacher Roadshow, also for the results from several of Europe's banks, UBS and Credit Suisse among them, before next week moving on to the UK bank results. In the meantime, all that's left for me to, to do is to thank Mr. Camper for sparing his time this morning and to you David for for joining me in the studio and thank you for listening. Banking Weekly was produced by LJ Filatrani. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads go to FT.com forward slash podcasts.